Hello, my friends, and welcome to the last study of the book of Acts. Uh, can you believe that we are reaching the end of our Acts study? We've been doing this twice a week all summer long, and here we are uh, finally uh, at the end of the study. We finished up with chapter 28 on Tuesday, and so today is going to be a bit of a of a, of a summary lesson and a uh, here's kind of where we've been and here's where Luke has taken us and uh, here's a little bit about uh, what's ahead for us. Um, I'm excited uh, to tell you that um, uh, next week we will not have uh, lessons on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's not what I'm excited about. But what I am excited about is that the following week um, which will be the uh, Tuesday after Labor Day, September 7th, uh, we'll begin a, or September 8th, I guess. Six plus two is eight, right? Okay. So September 8th, we'll begin a new study on uh, the Psalms, and I'm excited about that. Uh, we'll look at uh, the Psalms as calls uh, to praise and prayer, and I'm excited about doing that. That will get us uh, through the fall, and we'll be able to um, look through all of these wonderful psalms and get us to about Thanksgiving. And um, and so I'm excited about that. I know probably some of you are wondering, is he ever going to stop? Well, you know, Jesus comes, I'll stop. If he doesn't, then we'll just keep going on. Um, I, I see a few of our regulars. Eric and Cindy are here. Debbie, my friend, is helping me to uh, uh, get my uh, adding right in calculus. I didn't have a calculator handy. I have my phone, but it would be too much trouble to try to find uh, the calculator on it and figure out that six plus two is eight. So thanks, Debbie, for clearing that up and confirming that. I appreciate that so much. You are a true friend. Um, but yes, we're finishing up Acts today. I want us to kind of review, look at the different chapters, uh, just uh, do a short, quick run through, and then uh, maybe uh, look at several of the key passages that we've seen as we've gone along and then just kind of have some uh, concluding thoughts. Um, so um, I've entitled this series, Beginning with a Bang, Continuing with Conviction. And, um, and I hope that you've uh, been profited. I think Acts is a very important book. Obviously, it's one that we in Churches of Christ have emphasized through the years. And I don't think we need to apologize for that at all. I think that's an important thing. It's uh, the only narrative we have of the first century church. I do think that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are also narratives. Uh, they are narratives, however, about the life of Christ. Um, and as you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you recognize and acknowledge that it's talking about events that happened before uh, the beginning of the church, but they're written during the time of the church. So they're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are written during, at least um, possibly, a couple of them anyway, are written during the time that we've talked about in the book of Acts, and certainly all of them written before the end of the first century, uh, the Gospel of John probably being the last one of those. So I, I think as we look at the book of Acts, it's it's important narrative that just describes the first three decades of the church. We start in 30 of the common era, 30 CE, and we go all the way to about 60 CE. So uh, Luke gives us some uh, things along the way. Uh, to help us as we uh, go. So hello to my dear friends, Lenny and Joe. Nice to have y'all with us. 
as well. They've been very faithful, wonderful friends of ours uh, since long, long ago in Arlington, Texas, and so many others that have been really encouraging and uh, uh, watching these lessons and viewing these lessons. We get a, a lot of views every week on these, and a few of you will chime in and say hello or have some other comment, and that's great. Uh, a lot of you don't do that. That's great, too. Uh, one of the uh, interesting things about online teaching is that uh, you don't get to get to see everybody. It's still live. Facebook Live is. Um, and so I'm doing it live if you're watching it at 3 p.m. Central Time on uh, Thursday, uh, August 27th. But if you are, um, if you're looking at it um, on at later on my Facebook page or on our church Facebook pages or on our West Irwin site, then it's uh, you're watching a recorded message. But as I do it, it's live, and then there are people that are watching uh, and uh, and viewing, and I appreciate that. Appreciate that very much. I just can't see um, how you're reacting. <laughs> One of the things I love about preaching is that it's a very dynamic experience. You're standing in front of people sharing the message and the Word of God, uh, and you can at least kind of gauge some interaction and some connection uh, or disconnect. I have experienced that many times as well. Um, but uh, on Facebook Live, I don't get that privilege, other than the few of you who chime in every so often and say hello or, or send me a, a laugh emoji, which is always one of my favorites. Um, and so that's where we've been again starting next week. We won't do anything on Tuesday and Thursday, but the following week, the week after Labor Day, uh, I intend to start a series on the Psalms and looking at the calls to praise and prayer. I think that will be a good study, a significant study as we look ahead uh, to a, um, a very interesting September, October, and November uh, as we get closer to the election, as the campaign heats up even more uh, than it already is, and as we continue to be in prayer uh, for our communities and for our nation and for our leaders and for our world. Um, so with all of that, remember I began this study uh, in the earlier in the summer and after we did Matthew, the book of Matthew, when we had to shut down and we moved to online, uh, we started up uh, where we had kind of taken up in the study of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and, and so this has been kind of our Wednesday night Bible study, except it's been on Tuesday, Thursday afternoons. I will say that I'm excited that our church, West Irwin Church of Christ here in Tyler, Texas, uh, we'll be opening up a little bit more on Labor Day Sunday, uh, September the 6th. We'll be uh, offering up a, a few of our adult classes that we haven't started back yet. And so we're excited about that. We'll also have a Wednesday night class starting then. I'll be teaching live here in person on the book of First and Second Thessalonians. Looking forward to that. That's a, that's a very, very uh, wonderful church. Uh, and we saw how it began uh, back in... Um, Acts 17, and uh, <clears throat> and then they began in persecution, and they continued in persecution. And when Paul writes First and Second Thessalonians, it's clear that they were still being persecuted. So I thought that would be a good study for us again on Wednesday nights here live at um, at West Irwin, and we'll do that uh, starting uh, the sun the Wednesday after Labor Day. Uh, so if the 8th is Tuesday, then the 9th is Wednesday, and I'm going to get away from the calendar because my math just can't, can't handle it. Uh, so lots of exciting things coming on, and I hope that uh, you will continue to remember our church and our church leaders 
And also, if you're not a member here, then the, the church where you are and your leaders as well with prayers, uh, with encouraging words and, um, and blessings because the, it has been a rough road over these last four or five months. So uh, continue to do that. And we will uh, finish up the study um, of the book of Acts today, beginning with a bang, continuing with conviction. So a few things about the, the, uh, the just a, a quick run through of uh, chapter by chapter. And I think it's great. I think if you're very familiar with the book of Acts, I think that's great. I think that if you are able to um, uh, remember uh, some of the events in the book of Acts and be able to find them, I think that's a great thing. I heard a long time ago, and as I've gotten older, it's becoming more and more important for me, um, that uh, if you can memorize scripture, and that's a great thing. I remember when I was a student, a Bible student, Bible major student at Oklahoma Christian College back in the 70s, um, and had wonderful professors there, wonderful friends. It was just a great, great experience. Um, and, but I remember that there were some of our Bible uh, class teachers uh, who would give you actually extra credit if you could write out scriptures by memory. And I think that was a, that was a great thing. It was a real encouragement to us because we were all about the grades, just like everybody else. Uh, but it was also something that at that age was uh, a little bit easier to do than it is now. And it's something that has uh, really, uh, really stuck with me. And that's a, that's a great blessing. And as I've gotten older, I've realized, you know, you may not remember exactly what Acts 2.38 says, but you remember that it's Acts 2.38. Now, as we get older, uh, there might be some things that we have a little bit more uh, trouble with. Uh, for example, we might remember that Acts 9 is the story where Luke talks about uh, the, the interesting experience that, that Saul of Tarsus had on the road to Damascus. Well, uh, you might be thinking, well, I know that it says in there that uh, he uh, prayed and fasted for three days and three nights. He didn't eat anything. And, um, and then when Ananias came, he baptized him. Um, but I don't remember the verse numbers of that. Well, here's, here's my secret. I've found over the last several years, it's been quite a while, that if I can remember the book and the chapter, I can find the verse pretty quickly. You know, we talk about the BCVs, the book, chapter, and verse, and I think that's great. And if you can do the BCV, then super, good for you. I can do that with some. Uh, but for others, I just remember the, the book and the, and the chapter number. And I think if you can do that, then you can get there and you can find it uh, within a very short, reasonable time. Um, so uh, if you're like me and you're moving along in age and years and you're thinking, you know, I just can't memorize like I used to, well, then, then this will be a great, uh, a great way of, of doing that. Um, and so that's why I kind of wanted to take today and finish out this study and take a few minutes and just do a, a run through the book of Acts. Uh, chapter by chapter, without, and then we'll turn to some verses, uh, some passages, and then we'll close out. But just, just rethink with me the main themes of the different chapters, and just maybe one or two of, of each one, primarily one of each one, and uh, maybe a significant verse or two that pops into your head along the way. Uh, again, we start out about A.D. 30. You know, the, the dates are, they're iffy, because everybody is you know, we have some times in, in Acts and in the book of Luke when Luke gives us uh, somebody's name who was in authority, uh, like Gallio, and we're able to, 
to kind of put that together with history and it becomes a, a marker for a date. It helps the credibility of scripture that it does that. And all of those work, all of those work with the, uh, what the historical record would be as well. And so we, we figure that, you know, Jesus, um, you know, had 30 years of ministry or 30 years of life. He had three years of ministry. So if you figure that he started around, um, you know, some say it was 4 uh, BC to 29 CE or uh, um, 0 to 30 or 0 to 33. Um, I, I think if we can estimate some of those dates, I think we're going to be pretty close and be all right. Um, and so I, you know, Acts 1 begins with Jesus just before he ascended. And, and he interacts with the, um, with the apostles. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is that great statement uh, that is, I think, the theme verse of the book of Acts. Uh, you will be my witness here. You'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem uh, to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, and that becomes the kind of the outline for the book of Acts. If you see Rome as the ends of the earth, I think perhaps Luke had in mind a volume three after Paul was released at the end of Acts 28, after that two-year period under house arrest that we read about just this past Tuesday. Maybe that he was released historically, that seems to be the case, and he was able to travel some more, preach some more, travel all the way to Spain, which was his dream. That could be the ends of the earth, uh, as, as Luke would be considering it, um, and uh, again, a symbolic thing. Uh, and then rearrested and taken back to Rome, uh, once again, a hearing before uh, the emperor Caesar and uh, um, Nero uh, this time, and, um, and, then, um, and then that time put to death. That's probably around 65, 66, 67 of the Common Era. So we don't get those last several years of Paul's life, but we do go from about 30 to about 60 CE. And so when Luke ends the, uh, the book of Acts with Paul under house arrest, it's around um, what we might say AD 60 or around 60 of the common era. Okay, so chapter one begins with Jesus still alive. It begins with um, uh, Jesus calling his uh, apostles and reminding them of their mission. Uh, it's, in a sense, it's Luke's uh, Acts version of the Great Commission. He wrote in Luke 24, uh, Jesus telling them that, um, that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name and that they were to wait into Jerusalem until uh, they received that power that would allow them and enable them to do that. We see that uh, fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 1, they do uh, replace Judas. Iscariot, who killed himself, and Peter, interestingly enough, speaks out and kind of takes the lead there, and we're thinking, wow, I can't believe this guy would presume uh, to be a leader after denying Christ three times and, and being warned about it and vehemently calling down oaths that he didn't know him. Um, but God is a very forgiving God. Jesus, I see him putting his arm around him, as John records in John 21, and walking down a path with him and telling him, you know, do you love me? Uh, then feed my uh, sheep. Um, great story there. Um, and so Acts 1-8, we remember in Acts 1, that great call uh, to be witnesses everywhere, starting right where we are. And Acts 2, of course, is the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection. Again, we have said all along, it adds credibility to this story that uh, it's beginning and taking place in the same city within weeks of each other. 
Jesus being crucified in Jerusalem around Passover and then being raised from the dead on the Sunday following Passover, all the same weekend, um, and the tomb being right there, uh, the, the, the people claiming that he had been raised from the dead, claiming that the tomb was empty and under a secure Roman guard because the Jewish leaders knew that he had said he was going to be raised on the third day. And so they actually helped make the story more credible by having um, uh, an extra secure uh, guard there. And then, of course, they tell this, pay the guards off and tell this crazy story that his weak disciples came uh, just days after running away for their lives when he was killed and arrested and then killed and, and that they are the ones that overpowered these armed Roman soldiers who were had their lives at stake if they were not to fulfill their duty and the seal of the emperor over this big big stone that how you how are you going to roll that away and so lots of lots of incredible things and all of that took place right there in the same city in the city of Jerusalem and in Acts 2 we received that power that that powerful gift of the holy spirit and the apostles began to speak in other languages not having studied them and everyone that is there from all the really all parts of the known world at the time your study Bible may give a map or you can Google it, you know, areas where uh, people on the day of Pentecost were from. And they had stuck around in Jerusalem. They had come there for the Passover feast and they waited around, you know, why not a couple of months, less than two months for the next big feast day, the Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. But on that day, uh, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in these other languages. Peter takes the lead and explains that this is the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 and that great prophecy. And uh, then he tells the story uh, to these Jewish listeners of uh, how Jesus is the Messiah, how he is the Christ, how he fulfills everything that the prophets said, everything that David said, uh, all those wonderful things that he shares in Acts chapter 2 and, and uh, announces to them this weak man and these other weaklings who ran for their lives now are boldly standing before the same group that killed Jesus less than two months later and saying, you killed him. He was the Son of God. He was the long-awaited Messiah. But God has made him Lord in Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And they, were, they couldn't believe it. They said, you're right. What do we do? They believed. And the answer comes back in that Acts 2, verse 38, to repent, change your life, change your direction, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, a great, great promise, a great, great uh, conviction that they had of penitence and, and uh, 3,000 were baptized that day. The book of Acts ends with that great look at the very first church um, and how they met together regularly and how they were committed to the apostles' teaching or doctrine to fellowship with one another, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Great, great story, scene in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapters 3 and 4, we find there the, the apostles, it doesn't take them long, they get into trouble. Uh, Peter and John heal this man at the, at the temple gate, and they get called in by the Jewish leadership about it, and they say, look, if you want to know how this guy was raised from the dead, it's through the name of Jesus of, of Nazareth whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead and who is Lord of all. There's no other name by which people can be saved than, than the name Jesus. Um, what a turnaround. Uh, of course, in that passage in Acts 3 and 4, they 
the Jewish leaders really take note that these men had been with Jesus. And it may be because they are thinking, wow, they, he really changed their lives. I'll come back to that. It may be likely that they're thinking, oh man, I thought we were done with this. I thought we were done with this Jesus of Nazareth thing when we had him killed. Um, but not so much, not so much. Um, and, and so they, you know, they call him and they say, you know, I, these, this, these changed lives, th these men with conviction, these men that are willing and women that are willing to put their lives on the line and to give up their lives rather than deny this story that they have that Jesus was killed and dead and buried and yet they saw him alive. Um, if you're making up something like that, then you're not going to give your life for it. And you're not going to have this kind of conviction. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, that great resurrection chapter, this is, this is a great tribute to the gospel and its power. Uh, that all of these, including himself and including Jesus' half-brother James, um, who had seen the Lord, their lives were never the same. Um, and so Acts chapter 3 and 4, they arrest them, but they don't uh, punish them. They just threaten them. And then they send them away. And in Acts chapter 5, with that great story of Ananias and Sapphira, yikes, be careful how you give and what heart you have behind it. doesn't matter how much. What matters is what you say about it and why you're doing it. Um, and Ananias and Sapphira are a great story about that. But then they, uh, in Acts chapter 5, once again, they're arrested for preaching the gospel. Except this time, this time, uh, they are miraculously released, rearrested and beaten and flogged all the apostles uh, and so the persecution actually for real begins in acts chapter 5 up until that time it had been threats but now it was it was very very real it didn't slow them down however at all and again a, a great tribute to the credibility of the message that they had that they were willing uh to to be punished and to die rather than uh to deny uh what they were saying that gets us to Acts chapter 6 and 7. Of course, in Acts chapter 6, that, that very testy time, the first real uh, divi div potential div division in the church with the uh, widows from a Greek background who were there uh, in Jerusalem, still in Jerusalem, and they weren't, they weren't being taken care of. They were being neglected. And so the, the congregation goes to the apostles and, and, uh, and say, hey, you guys fix this, and, uh, which is what it seems like is always the case. But to their credit, the apostles say, no, no, we, we have our ministry. We are committed um, to the ministry of the word and to the ministry of prayer. And that's very important. And you, this is very important too, but you need to take care of this. Call out seven of your own men of our own church and men who are spiritual, men who will be responsible in this task and, and get them to do this. And that's what they do. And two of those men are significant in the next few chapters. One is Philip the Evangelist, we'll read about in Acts chapter 8, and the other is Stephen. And in the rest of Acts chapter 6 um, and in chapter 7, we hear about Stephen. And Stephen preaches this great sermon as he is arrested and uh, charged with trying to destroy Judaism and turn, you know, get people to destroy the temple and all of those things, just like Jesus was. And, and he tells the story, a, a sermon very similar to what um, Peter says in Acts chapter 2, very similar to what Luke, uh, Luke will record Paul saying in, um, in Acts chapters 13 and 14. And so um, uh, he tells them exactly uh, how it is, gives them the historical 
record that they all agree on, uh, going back uh, to their heritage. But then he applies it in Jesus' day, and he, just like Peter did, he calls them out for rejecting and even crucifying uh, the Son of God, the Messiah. And they have heard enough, and they don't even try to take him to the Romans. Uh, they take him to the outside the city, and they pick up rocks, and they stone him to death. And Stephen's life there at the end sounds very much like the kind of death that Jesus had, praying for the forgiveness of the ones who were taking his own life, committing his spirit and his life into the hands of the Lord. The uh, powerful scene, Stephen becomes the first Christian martyr uh, at the end of Acts chapter 7. And we're introduced to a very significant guy. Uh, they, they laid their clothes, their garments at the feet of a man, a young man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Um, and this is mob mentality. Um, and it, interestingly enough, they, they were lucid enough that they didn't want to damage their, their nice clothes. So they, uh, they lay them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul was there, Luke records, approving, or later on Paul himself would say uh, that he was there approving when people were taken, their lives were taken for the faith. Um, uh, and so in Acts chapter 8, that's when everybody scatters. Uh, the persecution heats up. Paul, Saul of Tarsus becomes the point man. And that great word in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, they went everywhere preaching the word. Wherever they went, they took that gospel with them. And what Satan had intended to use to destroy the church and to get it to just die out, instead, God uses to spread the, the word and to enlarge the borders of the kingdom. And it's just a great and powerful story. That message begins in Acts chapter 8 with Stephen, another one of those seven chosen, or, or Philip, rather, the, the uh, evangelist, as he goes to um, the just north of Judea, the province where Jerusalem and Bethlehem are, goes just north into Samaria uh, and preaches to the Samaritans. There's no, no racial issues there. This is the gospel. It's for all. And he preaches to the Samaritans and baptizes them. And then the Spirit calls him away uh, to join a chariot where a man is reading from Isaiah 53. And Philip talks to him, and they interact, and he preaches him about Jesus, and they come to some water, and it's the Ethiopian official who says, hey, here's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And Philip says, if you believe, you may. And so they stop the chariot. He confesses his faith. Philip and the eunuch go down into the water. He baptizes them. They come out of the water, and uh, the man uh, the Spirit takes Philip away to do more work for the Lord, and the man goes on his way home rejoicing. What a blessing. What a so, such a wonderful story in Acts chapter 8. Gets us to Acts chapter 9, where this man, Saul of Tarsus, is persecuting everybody. Now he's not settled for just persecuting people in Jerusalem. He's going to the, he's chasing them down, basically. He's run them out of town, and now he's chasing them down. But on one of those trips that Luke records and describes in Acts chapter 9, he meets Jesus face-to-face -face on the road to Damascus. That great interaction between the two of them. Uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. In chapter 26, Luke records uh, Saul, uh, Paul saying, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. In that scene, Saul says, what do I do, Lord? And he says, go into the city and you'll be told. He's been blinded. He stays there for three days and three nights. He doesn't eat anything. He's fasting, obviously penitent, prayerful. And then Ananias comes to him and tells him, according to Acts 22, 
verse 16. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away. Immediately, uh, Saul begins to preach the gospel that he had been trying to destroy. And he goes to Jerusalem, a man by the name of Barnabas, a good Christian that we had been introduced to in Acts chapter 4. Um, and it kind of takes him under his wing, introduces him around, and, um, and they realize that this man who had, was the enemy number one of uh, the church and of Jesus Christ becomes public enemy number one of the Jews who are trying to destroy them. Um, in Acts chapter 10, a significant event. Uh, now we're at about uh, 40 CE, so we've gone about 10 years. Um, Cornelius, uh, Peter has a vision. Cornelius, this Gentile officer, Roman officer, soldier, centurion, uh, has a vision. And ultimately, Peter goes to Cornelius's home, even though he's a Gentile, and, um, and preaches the gospel to him. And, and for Peter, it's a big step, this very Jewish apostle. Um, and, uh, and yet he goes, because he knows God is behind this. And then as he's there, uh, the, he says some great things in Acts chapter 10, that he believes that God doesn't show favoritism, that he'll accept anybody from anywhere uh, who will come to him in genuine faith. Um, but he's just not offering the invitation yet. <laughs> and so Cornelius and all his family are given uh, the powers of the Holy Spirit, those extraordinary, miraculous powers. Uh, and later Peter would say, hey, they received it just like we did. How can I, how can I refuse them being baptized? Uh, and that's exactly what happens. Those are the only two instances where that happens, this extraordinary, miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to the apostles and to Cornelius and his family in Acts chapter 10. Both extraordinary moments as the church begins in Acts 2 and as the church realizes that their outreach is to include non-Jews, Gentiles, and they don't have to convert them to Judaism. They don't have to have the men circumcised. They don't have to tell them to keep the Sabbath. But what they do have to tell them is to have faith in Jesus and to be baptized in his name and to live that life of faith. Acts 10, a wonderful, wonderful piece. And then in Acts 11, Peter has to go back to Jerusalem and explain to all of his buddies what he did. <laughs> they say, what were you thinking? Uh, but he does. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and he recounts the story. And they all praise God that now, now they get it, what the prophets had been saying, that even the Gentiles uh, are acceptable to God through faith. That doesn't mean that they don't struggle with it. The whole rest of the New Testament, they struggle with that issue. Uh, it's a racial issue. It's a theological issue. It's uh, a people issue. <laughs> How can you have Jewish and Gentile Christians in the same church? Um, and that, and they, they, they have issues with that. And it's a good thing for us because we're able to hear some things that, that is said about that, such as Paul writes to the Romans about it. And writes to the Ephesians about it and uh, to the Galatian Christians and others um, trying to deal with this very, very issue. At the end of Acts 11, uh, Barnabas goes to Antioch of Syria, and this dynamic church is already taking that seriously, converting non-Jews, converting Gentiles uh, to the Lord. And, um, and so they, uh, Barnabas goes there from Jerusalem, and, they, and he says, wow, this is, they've got it going on here, and I know just who they need. And he goes and gets Saul of Tarsus, and he brings him to Antioch of Syria, and he says, you know, these guys, they're, they're serious, and I know, Saul, that you're serious too because, uh, because of the love that Jesus has shown you. And, and so that church uh, begins a great outreach and also sends out a, Paul and Barnabas on a benevolence mission, the first mission trip 
that's recorded is a is a benevolence mission trip to help poor uh, Christians in Judea. Uh, they gather up a collection and they take it uh, to them. Uh, but before that time, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, um, that great statement that says the disciples were called Christians first, not at Jerusalem, but first at Antioch. Uh, what a great, great statement. Um, and then that brings us to Acts chapter 12. And Acts chapter 12 begins on a downer note because King Herod has um, uh, James killed. This is James, the brother of John, not James, the half-brother of Jesus, who becomes a, a leader in the church at Jerusalem. Uh, in spite of the apostles being there, it's James, the brother of the Lord, who takes a lot of leadership there. But um, James and John, the sons of thunder, one of the three men closest to Jesus during his life, Peter, James, and John, um, it's that James that Herod has killed. And because he thinks the Jews love him so much for it, he arrests Peter and is going to do the same thing. But Acts 12 records Peter's miraculous escape. And he goes back to the home of where John Mark lives. And, and there in Jerusalem in his mother's house. And the people are there gathered to pray. And, and he's ultimately let in. And they realize that God has delivered him. Um, in Acts chapters 13 and 14 is the first mission journey. Paul and Barnabas are called out by the Holy Spirit at the church of Antioch of Syria to do what the Spirit has for them to do. And so they strike out from Antioch of Syria, go west uh, throughout uh, the southern part of Asia, and they go uh, through what we would call modern-day Turkey. And they go through that area, including probably some of the area where uh, the Galatian Christians are, probably where uh, some of the ones that Peter addresses in First and Second Peter would be. Uh, ultimately, and um, and they, it's such a wonderful passage, Acts chapters 13 and 14, we hear Paul's first recorded sermon, a very Jewish sermon in one of the synagogues, and we see early on that his practice will be, go to the synagogue first, go to my brothers in the, in the flesh, and by blood, but if, when they reject it, then we go to the Gentiles, and that's, and that becomes the pattern for Paul, this time with Barnabas, and John Mark for a while, who's related to Barnabas, and then John Mark turns around and leaves uh, uh, not very long into the journey. It becomes too much for him, apparently, and he goes back home to Jerusalem. And so later, there would be a, such a division between Paul and Barnabas over that that, uh, that they would have to split up. Um, and Acts chapter 14, it's interesting, as they go back through the, the churches that they had established on their way back to Antioch, uh, they ordain elders in each, in each city. Uh, what a blessing to see uh, godly men um, used by the Spirit, by the church, uh, to shepherd and lead God's people. I'm thankful for all the godly elders that I have had the privilege and the blessing of working with, including the ones that are here in our West Irwin Church family. Um, and so that gets us to Acts 15. In Acts 15, they, the, the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, uh, Christian leaders, they are really nervous about this Gentile thing. And they hear the stories about what Paul and Barnabas are doing and that that crazy liberal church in Antioch of Syria, and um, too contemporary for the Orthodox Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. So they say, we got to meet about this because they send individuals there to Antioch and they say, hey, you guys need to be circumcising these guys. And, and Paul says, no, no, no. And so they meet in Jerusalem to try to figure this out. And, um, and they do. And it's a great, wonderful compromise that they reach. It shows value to the Jewish heritage of many Christians, but it also shows that uh, we can't require Gentile Christians to live according to the law. 
Uh, and it's a great compromise. And the people in Antioch of Syria are so encouraged uh, when Paul and Barnabas, and they bring a man named Silas uh, from Jerusalem back with them, uh, and perhaps some others to add credibility to this message. Um, and so it's time to go out again. Paul and Barnabas are going to go, but again, Barnabas wants to take John Mark, who is the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And, um, and Paul says, no, I don't think so. And, and the strife is so deep that Barnabas takes Mark and goes one direction, and, and Paul takes Silas and goes a different direction. Later on, uh, Paul would speak very highly of Mark and of the usefulness that he has in the Gospel, and Peter would speak of Mark. Uh, in the same way that Paul speaks of this man we're about to meet by the name of Timothy, his son, in the gospel. Paul and Silas strike out uh, in chapter 16. They uh, have uh, Timothy circumcised. His mother was a Jewish Christian. His father was a Greek. He'd never been circumcised. And knowing they would be working with a lot of Jews, they haven't circumcised, not because it's required, but because it's the right loving thing to do for the sake of the gospel. They try to go to the same way that they went, uh, that Paul went with Barnabas, but the Spirit wouldn't let him, and he calls them into Europe. And so they go to what we would call modern-day Greece in Acts 16, and they go to the, to the Roman colony, the city of Philippi, and they go to a place of prayer, and that's where they meet this wonderful, Christ, this wonderful woman by the name of Lydia. Uh, she's a, a businesswoman. She has her own home. She is baptized into Christ, and she has them stay at her home. And uh, that church at Philippi becomes very close to the Apostle Paul and very much a part of, of his ministry, their partnership in ministry, as he calls it in Philippians 1. Uh, the fellowship, it's the word koinonia there, the partnership of ministry that they have because they sent him financial aid on his journey. And it was a great, great blessing. Um, and so then as he is in Philippi, he is arrested for uh, helping a woman who had been a slave uh, and being used by some slave owners, and he ends up in jail, Paul and Silas, and yet they're Roman citizens, um, and they're beaten and jailed overnight, but they are released the next day, and then they move on. Uh, that second mission journey continues on uh, to Thessalonica, where they're run out by the Jews, uh, to the neighboring town of Berea, where the people were would go home and study their Bibles every day to see if what Paul was saying was so. Uh, but the Jews from Thessalon Thessalonica, they don't, they're not content with running them out of their city. They want to run them out of Berea too, and so they do. And then they go from there to the southern province. That's the northern province of Macedonia. Remember, Paul had received that Macedonian call, which was the Spirit telling them to go across into Europe uh, from Asia. Uh, and, um, and so they go down to the southern part of modern-day Greece, the, uh, the Roman province of Achaia. And they go to Corinth, and they go to Athens, and uh, such great experiences there uh, for the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17 and 18, that great uh, message to Gentiles, not quoting a single Old Testament scripture in Acts 17 in Athens, uh, unlike the synagogue sermons that were filled with the Old Testament. Rightly so. We need to remember that lesson uh, and consider who we're talking to. Uh, never, never say anything untrue, but remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 9, all things to all people, so that by all possible means we might be able to save some. Uh, that's exactly what he did. And then in chapter 18, he goes to Corinth. Later, he would tell them as he writes 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, he says, man, I was so worn out, so emotionally spent when I got there. I had nothing, nothing. All I had was Jesus Christ and him crucified. He has a great ministry there. He has a vision from Jesus saying, hey, I've got people here. Hang in there with me. 
stays there for about a year uh, and a half. Passes through Ephesus, but we don't read much about that in the second journey. We do the third. And then back to Antioch, where they have Mission Sunday again and celebrate the good things that are done. And right back out in Acts chapter 18, Luke doesn't take any time uh, with a lot of fluff there. And they strike out on the third mission journey. And that's where we read a lot about Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Now we're in chapter 19. And we read about that, uh, that, that great riot that uh, Luke refers to as an assembly. <laughs> uh, the word ecclesia is used a few different times in Acts 19 to refer to this riot in Ephesus. Uh, all because of money. All because some men felt like Paul teaching that we serve a living God who is not... not not created by us, but created us. He is the creator, and, and he doesn't need idols or images like you're making and worshiping. Those are just wood and stone and precious metals. But, uh, and they take that seriously because that's their income. So they uh, nearly, have, nearly take Paul's life, but he gets out of there, survives uh, by the grace and mercy and power of God, and then goes to this little island of Miletus off the coast of Asia, the, the Roman province of Asia on the western part of what we would call uh, Turkey, sends for the elders from Ephesus, and that's that great statement, a uh, great chapter of Acts chapter 20. Um, we see him first in Troas, uh, and on the first day of the week, Acts 20 verse 7, the, we came together to break bread. Uh, and I think that would, could have been said everywhere Paul went, but we read in that one verse how important the Lord's Supper is how important the communion is, how important it is to remember not just the body of Christ on the cross, but the body of Christ with each other. I think as we kind of get through this pandemic and start thinking, you know, I need to get back to church. You need to get back to church. Yes, do it safely. Yes, wait until it's good for you if you're elderly or, or have health issues. All of those things are true. But as I said Sunday in the sermon, we want you to come back. We're excited to see more and more people. 232 in our assembly this past Sunday, the last two Sundays, the first time since we shut down in March that we've had over 200, and we hope and pray that many more will be safely, but many more will be coming back. Uh, he meets with those elders in Acts chapter 20, that great verse, verse 28, um, uh, shepherd the church of God, feed the church of God, uh, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul's great statement to the elders there in Acts chapter 20. Then that gets us to Acts chapter 21, and, um, uh, and this is where kind of things go haywire for, for Paul. I think he intends to uh, go back to Antioch of Syria, have another Mission Sunday report, but it doesn't get to this time because in lands in Caesarea and then goes up to Jerusalem, and there he's arrested by the Jews, and um, his fate is sealed. I mean, they, they're not going to let him go. Uh, there's a, uh, a threat, uh, a, a plot to kill him. Some have taken a vow, and they're, they're wanting to uh, take his life. And so he's transferred um, uh, to, ultimately, he's transferred uh, to Caesarea. But in Acts chapter 22, first of all, he's able to give his defense. He's able to tell his story to those Jewish leaders. And he's able to do that because they want to know why he's doing what he's doing. And he tells them, and he tells his story. He tells the story by telling his story, how he was converted by Ananias in Damascus after seeing Jesus on the road there. Uh, it's a great, great passage in Acts chapter 22 where we get to see what we need to do, which is share the message of God uh, with others. Tell the story by telling our story. Uh, that's what Paul uh, does in Acts chapter 
uh, 22. That gets us to Acts chapter 23, and again, plots on his life. He gets transferred to Caesarea. Uh, in Acts chapter 24, he is uh, going to appear before the Roman governor, Felix, uh, and he is there for two years. Um, and Felix going back and forth a little bit with him, maybe wanting to hear a little bit of his message, but also hoping that, that Paul would give him money to have him released. But Paul stays right where he is in jail. And, uh, and then Felix, the governor, uh, that great passage where Paul talks to him about righteousness and judgment to come and all of those things. And uh, Felix uh, is afraid. He trembles with fear um, because of the words of Paul, but not enough. Uh, to accept the message that Paul was preaching. Felix uh, is replaced by Festus, a new Roman governor uh, in uh, Caesarea. And, uh, and so King Agrippa uh, and his sister Bernice come, as is the custom, to uh, visit him. Uh, Festus hears about uh, Paul. He sees the letter that the commander in Jerusalem had sent with him when he had him transferred there because of the plot on his life in Jerusalem. And, um, and so he reads that. He also, of course, questions uh, Paul. He uh, wants to have a hearing. And, um, and so when, um, when King Agrippa is there, he tells him about him. And King Agrippa says, I'd like to hear this guy myself. And so uh, the governor, Festus, in chapter 25 says, well, tomorrow you will. And so in chapter 25, uh, we, at the end, we see this great pomp uh, uh, and circumstance and, and glory and honor, this great gathering of uh, royalty and political leadership and military power uh, there in, um, in Caesarea. And uh, Agrippa is there, and he tells Paul, you may speak for yourself. And so now we're at Acts 26, and in chapter 26, he's able to tell his story again before a king now, just as Ananias said he would when he was converted in Acts chapter 9. Now he's standing before um, uh, King Herod, Agrippa II, and he's there with the Roman governor, um, uh, Festus, and all of the nobles that are there in Caesarea, very important military headquarters um, for, the, uh, for the Romans. And, um, and, and Paul tells his story. You know, I was on the road to Damascus. I was going to persecute Christians and I, Jesus appeared to me, and, and I didn't hesitate. Uh, when Ananias told me, Acts 22, verse 16, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's what I did. And my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. And that's when, uh, you know, King Agrippa is probably starting to look a little nervous. The governor says, well, wow, Paul, you are one crazy fella. And, um, and Paul says, you know, I'm not. And the king knows I'm not because he knows this story. He's familiar with our heritage. And, um, and I believe, King Agrippa, that, that you believe the prophets, don't you? I know you do. And King Agrippa in Acts 26 says, well, do you think, Paul, that in just one lesson, do you think in just such a short time um, you could persuade me to be a Christian? That's in Acts 26, the second of three times the word Christian is used in Scripture in the New Testament. The other time is in 1 Peter surrounding persecution, being persecuted as a Christian. Um, Agrippa says, you think in just such a short time and such little effort you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul says, look, I wish everybody that's hearing me today would do just exactly that, would be just like I am, knowing the peace I have, knowing the joy I have, but not having these chains. Um, king, the king and the governor kind of talk about it afterwards. They leave the room and they say, you know, this guy could be set free right now, but he has appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen. He could do that. 
and fearing for his life that if the Romans let him go, the Jews will kill him. Paul plays the only card he has, and that is, I appeal to Caesar. And so the governor had said, well, to Caesar you shall go. And King Agrippa says, okay, uh, I'm game too. And so they get the guards together. They place uh, Paul on a boat. And in Acts chapter 27, we have that great story that we <laughs> talked about uh, last week about that exciting voyage uh, across the Mediterranean Sea in a storm, in a, sh in a shipwreck, throwing tackle overboard, throwing um, uh, pro provisions overboard, eating and then throwing food overboard, and then finally running aground on a sandbar and being torn apart by the waves, that poor little ship, and over 200 people on it, and they all uh, get out and are able to make it to uh, shore. They find out that that island's name is Malta, and that gets us to the last chapter of the book of Acts that we just talked about on Tuesday, Acts chapter 28. That great statement where uh, they find the, the island is Malta. They're there for three months, kind of ride out the winter there, and then they get on another boat with the Greek gods and Roman gods, Castor and Pollux on the figurehead. Paul just can't get away from the idolatry. And, um, and so they make that trip. They're in a, this island of, of Malta, and they go to Sicily, the island just south of Italy. And then from there, they go on uh, and hit the mainland of Italy. And while they're still a two days journey away from Rome, uh, some wonderful Christians have uh, left two days before that, and they meet Paul there. And they walk, they turn around and walk the, uh, the way all the way back with them. What a great joy and blessing that Christian fellowship is. May we never take that for granted. They certainly didn't. Would you be willing to walk two days journey one way just so you can give someone some encouragement and turn around and walk back? I think of the excuses we have um, to avoid Christian fellowship. And I just say, God, forgive us uh, because clearly... Clearly, those things just don't stand up when we read through this great book of Acts and we read of all the sacrifices and all the things that that early church did. And why did they do that? Because they were convinced that Jesus was crucified for their sins and that he had been raised from the dead. And they believed that so strongly that you could not keep them away from each other and you could not keep them from trying to encourage one another and from seeking to know and understand what God's word and God's will is and do whatever they could to be obedient to that will. I hope and pray that that's where we are as well. I fear sometimes we're not, uh, but I hope and pray that you will examine your heart today and compare it with these great Christian stories in the book of Acts. Granted, not everybody was faithful and no one was perfect, but so many great stories of people sacrificing so much because of the one who died for them and because of their love for that one who died for them. Just a couple of things as we close this series out, and, um, and we'll read uh, those last two verses uh, from Acts chapter 28. Uh, but remember what, what this book calls us to do, exactly what they did, which was share the message of Christ. Be willing to do that. You say, but Bill, I just don't. I just, I just don't know that story. Well, here's what we've said: you tell the story by telling your story. I don't know how to do that, Bill. It's easy. You tell them how your life was before Jesus came into it, and then you tell them your conversion story. I was at church one Sunday and I felt the call and I responded and I was baptized. I was at camp 
and I responded and I was baptized in the pool at camp. Uh, we were on a, on a trip and I was baptized in a river. Whatever your story is, uh, tell them how you came to hear the message of the response of faith, how you were baptized into Christ. And so your life before Christ, your conversion story, your own, and then your life since then and how God has been with you through thick and thin and how you haven't been faithful all the time, but you have sought uh, the Lord's blessing and you have sought to live faithfully for him. And, um, and that's powerful. Yes, I think you need to be able to find some of these stories we've talked about in Acts and in other places as well. Remember that day of Pentecost in Acts 2. Remember the Ethiopian in Acts 8. Remember the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. Remember Paul's conversion in Acts 9 and Acts 22. You don't have to know verse numbers. Just try to memorize a place or two where you can show people and say, you know, you're asking what must I do to be saved, and that's exactly the question they ask in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. That's exactly the question that Philippian jailer asked in Acts 16, and what they did in response is the same thing that you have to do. Um, it's the same thing that I've done, and that's, and that's all there is to it. Seriously, literally, that is all there is to it. Guide them to the scripture by sharing with them your own story, and then help them as best you can to become obedient. That great passage in Acts 1 verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the very end of the world. And then the way Acts 28 ends is Paul under house arrest in Rome. And this is how Luke ends the story. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Thanks for joining me and being a part of this study. I pray for our land. I pray for our families. I pray for our nation. I pray uh, for our church. And I pray for you, my friend, uh, that God will bless you and that God will use you in great ways to be his witness in your own local area, in the surrounding regions as you have opportunity to the very end of the age and to the very ends of the earth. God bless us all to that end. I'll see you not next week, but the following week on Tuesday after Labor Day, and we're going to open up that great book of Psalms. God bless.